I turned 43 today. I'm still very young. Uh, and um, it's also a very special day because the Dodgers made it to the World Series today. On my birthday, they beat uh, they beat the, the Brewers, and then the, also the Houston Astros lost. So, Claire, if you're in the children's ministry room, the World Champs have been defeated. All right, I, I love baseball on this time of year. It's just it's, it's the only time when it's fun. Like at the beginning of the season, you're like, there's like how many games? There's 130 games. You're like, wow, and then at the end, it gets really fun. Um, today I'm going to be preaching, uh, I'm going to kind of do a few more uh, sermons out of the, the book of Psalms. These are songs that many people wrote throughout history in the, in the Bible that um, people actually sang these psalms. Right? These weren't just like read aloud like, you know, in Hebrew it'd be like, they actually sang these songs. And there were actually, uh, uh, you know, there were people, there were music that accompanied this kind of, all of these psalms and you know, they would play the lyre, and they would play the harp, and they would play like you know, the trumpets and the cymbals. Um, to really uh, exalt to the Lord who uh, and, and worship Him out of song. You know? uh, a song is uh, it's a very emotional thing. How, who's like sang at a at a norebang and then has just gotten so into it that after you, you sing that song, you feel something in your in, in your heart, like you feel like therapeutically too. Has anybody ever done that before? All right, I guess it's just me. But there's something about singing, and God gives us the ability to sing. God puts a song in our heart. So like so when singing, it's not just us making noise and breathing with you know and, and making tones and things like that. Um, there it's it's I believe that God created singing so that we can actually ex- like experience this uh, just a part of, of God's goodness and his nature. I think singing singing is 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 very soothing to the soul for a lot of people. And I believe that it's because God puts music in our hearts. God is the creator of music. He's the creator of singing. Um, there wasn't a man long time ago that decided like, hey, I think if I like make this noise and put words to it, ah, it's very no, like no, like God created music, God created song, right? And so uh, these psalms were just an expression of of, of people it, like worshiping back to God uh, in the way that God has you know, given them the words to do. So so I love the psalms. It's there's a lot of uh, people uh, you know. When they read the Bible, the, one of the first things that they go to are psalms because it's very soothing, and, and there's always some kind. Of, there is a psalm to kind of like, like you know, uh, uh, touch your heart regarding any situation that you're going through. You, know, you might be going through a, a hard time, or you might be like excited, and then you might be getting married, and you just feel jubilant, and, and then you might be mourning, and you might be grieving, you, know, you might have lost somebody. There's a psalm um, to really touch your heart, no matter what. Condition, whatever, no matter what kind of circumstances that you're going through. Um, today, uh, our sister Ine read Psalm 23. Uh, it's another psalm of David. David wrote this psalm. And uh, to many people, this is one of their favorite psalms. Who's, who like really loves Psalm 23? Who, do you, who, who thinks that it's one of their favorite psalms? Right? It, I think hands on, if you got like a good enough people and you ask if, if Psalm 23 was their favorite psalm, it could, a lot of people would say that it is. Because it's so like, it's such a it's such a soothing song. It's such a, like a tranquil, it like really like touches that part of you where you feel like God is. He gives us rest. He gives us comfort. He leads us to pasture and, and grass, and, and He is a protector. And there's so many uh, so many amazing metaphors that are that come from this psalm. And we see a glimpse of David the shepherd. Right? David was a shepherd before. You know, we know that David as the king. He was he was the greatest king. Uh, besides Jesus, who is the you know king of Israel, be, be, besides Jesus, he was the greatest king throughout all of the the, the history of, of Israel, right? When you read First uh, and Second Kings, and when you read like you know Chronicles, it, it, it chronicles all of the the lives of all of the kings that you know that Israel had, the northern, the southern kingdom, you know, like, you know all these different kings, um, Jehoshaphat, and they have all these crazy names. But out of all of these kings. The greatest kings that, the, like, if you ask a Hebrew person, like a Jewish person, who was the greatest king uh, in, in his, they would say it's David. David was, uh, hands down, the greatest king. But before David was this amazing king, or before David was this mighty warrior, right, they would say that, like, David, you know, he was such a mighty warrior that he would go out and, and he would just, there's no army that could stand against him. He would go out and lead his army and they would always be victorious. And they would say, like, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands, right? So he, he's this mighty warrior. He defeats Goliath. 
This is, he gets a slingshot. I read this to David a lot, and he throws his sling and gets him in the head. And then David, you know, even at a young age, like everybody thinks that the slingshot killed Goliath, right? I just knocked him out. But what it, the Bible says that David took Goliath's sword and chopped his head off, right? That's gangster. That's a mighty warrior, right? But before David was a mighty warrior, before he was he was all, any of it, he was a little shepherd boy. He was out in the field tending his father's sheep. And you have to understand that as a shepherd, you know, like it wasn't a glamorous job. He was the youngest and he was tending to his sheep. So it wasn't this like the old like like, oh I want to be the shepherd. It's like it was actually one of like the, the worst things that you can do as a Hebrew person is as a Jew was to take ten sheep. You know, they came out of Egypt and Egypt Egyptians really despised shepherds and they really despised sheep. And so as they came out of they they were this like really shepherding people before they went into Israel, but then after they came out of Israel, they had a disdain for sheep and shepherds, right? And so, you know, tending his father's sheep was not like this glamorous job, right? It wasn't something that uh, David did like, you know, and he, was, he wasn't like, you know, like, you're the greatest son, so you're going to tend my sheep. It was actually set aside for like the, the lowest of the sons to do. And, and he, he would take care of his father's sheep, Jesse, his father's sheep. And David was not a hired hand, right? And, and, and he knew firsthand what was needed to be a shepherd. And he knew firsthand what it was to be a shepherd. He knew what it was to be a shepherd. And he knew firsthand what sheep needed, right? How they needed to be taken care of. He knew how stupid sheep, sheep could be. Sheep are one of the dumbest animals. Like, they're, they're, they're dumb. I don't know if you've ever hung around with sheep, but we went to this one zoo uh, in, in Busan, right? And then, like, like they're, they're, you look at them, and you're just like, dude, like you, I could just lead them, like, anywhere, and just chop off the, like, there's, there's no defense. They have no defense mechanism, right? They're actually super, super helpless, right? And, and he knew what a, what a good shepherd had to do to take care of his sheep. Right? You know, David, it says that David took care of his father's sheep, and he wasn't a hired hand. He wasn't hired by Jesse to take care of the sheep. It was actually his father's sheep. So he took ownership in, in, his she, in the sheep that he took care of. So I, be, I believe that David was probably a very good shepherd. He was probably very, like, he, he, you, know, you know through the life that he led, he was a man of excellence. So you know that even when he was tending his father's sheep, he was doing it to the best of his ability. He was, he was a very good steward of, what, of, of the job that he was given. And because of that, David knew what it was to be a good shepherd. A good steward of his father's sheep. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, the Lord takes care of me. The Lord is with me. The Lord guides me. And David knew what a good shepherd was like. And he declares that the Lord is his shepherd. And so I want us to look closer at this psalm. But before, let me just open up with a word of prayer. Father God, I just pray that as we dive into these psalms, that you will bring us out uh, your revelation for us that even though that we've read these psalms countless times over and over again, Lord, we know that there are truths upon truth in your word, that your word is active and living. It is, it, it, it is there, Lord, and it's constantly bringing fresh revelation into our lives. So we pray that, this, that we will not shut off our minds as we go into this psalm, but that we will be open to all of the truths that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I want to point out here one aspect of this psalm is is that it's how intimate and personal this psalm is. Right? He says, "The Lord is my shepherd." Throughout his psalm, David doesn't talk about us or we or they, but he talks to he talks referring to himself. The Lord is my shepherd; he restores my soul. I think that that's why this psalm is so comforting to us because it communicates to us how intimate our relationship with God can actually be. You have to understand that, that the relationship between sheep and shepherd was a very intimate relationship. Right? John 10.3 says, The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. But not only that, but the shepherd knew the sheep by name. They say that most shepherds now, and even back then in the Middle East, 
um, they, they named their sheep, and they were able to actually identify their sheep by name. They would be able to look at a sheep and say, oh, that's Carol. You know, they would look at, oh, over there is Dean. Like, he would be able to look at a sheep without, like, you know, they, to me, all sheep look alike, right? I can never tell apart, but a, a shepherd from the Middle East back then would be able to tell them apart. They would be able to, to differentiate which, who was who and which was which, right? And shepherding in the Middle East has not changed much since Jesus' time. And I read an interesting article in preparation for this sermon about the intimate relationship between sheep and shepherd in the, out of the people that are still shepherds in that part of the land. And it mentions how good shepherd, how the good shepherd is, is not only identifying his sheep, but, but his ability to keep his sheep from wandering off, his ability to guide and lead his sheep into some of the most treacherous grounds that, in order for them to find green pastures and, and graze. Like it, it, ha- it comes from this real intimate relationship that he has with all of his sheep. When the shepherd leads the flock into a fold at night, he doesn't count them. Right? There's like 50 sheep. He doesn't count one, two, three. He's able to look at the flock and, and see if one of them is missing because he knows each of them so intimately. Now, it talks about how this one shepherd can, can listen to, he had like 50 uh, a, a, a female uh, mom, mommy sheep um, and they're all like blah blah, and he's able to buy their bleeding, or is that bleeding? Is that what they call them, bleeding? By their baths, he can tell which mom goes to which little lamb for her, the little lamb to go suckle. He can actually differentiate them, not by a tag or anything, but just by the hearing of of, of their their bleeding. How the shepherd would have intimate knowledge of each sheep, being able to tell if they were well or sick know what they needed before they needed it, to know when they were frightened, know when they were thirsty, know when they were hungry, to know when they were missing. And then David says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd, is my shepherd. And him being my shepherd means that he knows me intimately. The Lord knows me intimately. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And we have the ability to know Him and to hear Him. We have to understand that. We have to understand that God isn't just like far off in heaven, just like, you know, like, you know doing cosmic things, and then He's just, we're just down here to just like kind of fend for ourselves. God knows each and every one of us intimately. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. That would be Satan. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. What David is talking about, in this first sentence of this psalm, was almost scandalous to the Hebrew people. The Israelites would never actually refer to God as like my God. They would refer to God as what the Lord of what Abraham, Isaac, you know Jacob. The Lord, like He is the Lord. He's a God of Israel. He is a Lord of Israel. He is a Lord of His people. But it was never like this intimate where like He's my God. They just felt that God was too great and too amazing and too like like. They were in so shock of awe and all of God that they could, He could never actually be my my personal God. So when you read the Bible throughout the Old Testament, you see them refer to it as like the God of Abraham. <laughs> he's He's Abraham's God, right? He made that covenant with Abraham, and He and He knows Abraham, right? But He He's He's the God of His people. But you never you don't really see them hear them talking about like, oh, He's my God. But here, David is talking. He says that He's my God. He's my Lord. And this is a beautiful thing. It says that the Lord knows us intimately. And I am able to know Him intimately. To be known is one of the most fundamental needs that we have. When you look at orphans that are, you know, even at a young age, uh, that are, you know, in in those, they're orphaned and they're living in an orphanage and they're trying to baby, right? Like, 
even at that age, they have a need to be known. They have a need to be held and, and, and coddled and taken care of and, and know that, like, there's this innate need. And as they grow up, there's that need in their heart to be known and to be validated and to be valued by people is it, it, a need that they all have. We all have it. And it's, it's actually a need, I believe, that God placed inside of our hearts. And we could tell because right when social media was invented, right, maybe not for MySpace, right, but for like Facebook and for like Twitter and for like Instagram, right, it blew up. Who knew, like, who knew that like, like something like social media could get so big and become like a multi-billion dollar industry? Everybody is on Instagram. Who's who's not on Instagram? Anybody here not on Instagram? Raise your hand. All right. You are the you are the point zero zero one percent, right? I know everybody that I know is on Instagram, and everybody I know is on Facebook. Right? Maybe not so much Facebook anymore. Young people aren't doing Facebook that much, but Instagram is it right now. Everybody's on Instagram, right? Because there is this the, Instagram is able to help us feel like 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 we are known in some way, right? I know that our parents know us, our friends know us, but that it actually gives us a validation in our heart, not in not in the best way possible, right? But it actually validates this part of our hearts that that has a, a yearning and a desire to be known. And 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 we all need there's a need in us, and this need is not a bad thing. It's I believe it's something that was given to us by God for us to create healthy relationships in our lives. Right? We need to have a, a desire to be known for us to actually go out and make friends and, and develop healthy relationships, get married, have, have kids. These are things that there's a, there, there, there needs to be that need. If there is no desire in our hearts to be known, we'll just be like nomads living out in the forest by myself. And there's some people that are like that. But I believe that God placed within us this desire to be known. And I believe that ultimately God gave us that because he wants to be the one that satisfies that aspect of our hearts. He wants to be the the one that fills this longing to be known. For us to say that God, creator of the universe, knows me. And he knows me intimately. He is our shepherd. He knows us. Not generally, but intimately. And because he knows us intimately, he wants us to know him intimately. He wants us to seek him out. He wants us to know him. Not just know about him, but to know him. To know that we can't hide anything from God. And know that he wants, you know, God wants us to be real with him. He doesn't want us to, like, approach him, like, all, like, you know, like, having, like, taken care of everything, like, everything in its own, like, I, okay, I've done everything I can to help the poor. I've done everything I can to, like, you know, live a pure life. I did everything I can to do all these different things, to make myself right before God. You know, like, you know, I've been tithing. I've been, I've been giving, you know, everything. Okay, check, 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 check. And then now I can approach the throne of grace. No. God wants us to go to him just like who we are. Just like, God, I suck. You know, I've, like, some of the most times where God has, has blessed me so much is when I just go to him, I'm like, God, I'm just in this heaping mess. And I'm just like, God, I don't know what to do. You know? And he comes and he tends our hearts and he, he speaks to us and he, he, he shows him, he tells us in his way that like, hey, I am in control and I love you and there's, there's nothing that can separate you from my love. He is our shepherd. He knows us intimately. And then he wants us to know him. He wants us to approach him. This throne of grace, of confidence. To truly know God is to trust him. You can't truly know him and not trust him. You guys catch that? You can't really know God. You can't really say that, oh, I really know God. And not trust him. Because God can be trusted. And he invites us to not just to trust him and in him, but to know him intimately. He wants us to know him and to be known by him. And then David says, I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One thing about the relationship between sheep, shepherd and sheep is that sheep are, I, I mentioned it before, they're super dumb, right? They really are. They're really dumb. And they are utterly helpless. And the shepherd is responsible in helping to meet all of the needs of the sheep. If a sheep is out of out in the pasture and a sheep gets thirsty, there is no way 
the sheep does not have the ability to go find water. Like, like tigers do. Like a lion, right? He's like, I'm thirsty, right? I'm going to go get some water, right? Or like, like, you know, like a deer. Like, I'm thirsty. I'm going to go find some water, right? A sheep does not have the ability to do that. A sheep will just stay in this place. The only thing that's going to make that sheep move is, is like, like it's, if it's something attacks, it's just going to run. Like, ah! But then, like, he doesn't know what to do. There's no way for him to defend himself. They're utterly helpless. And if they're out grazing in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a clear area with all this grass, when they've eaten all that grass, they don't know how to go and find new pasture. They are utterly helpless for everything. They're defenseless. They're literally pillows filled with fresh meat. And if any kind of predator attacks a sheep, this is like, they can't really defend themselves, man. They, they can't like, I'm going to hit you with my, my plushy fur. You know, like, they have no claws. They have no, their teeth are like, you know, they're not even that, they're just, they're just pillows. They're sacks of very like plush, like meat burritos. I don't know, like, there's no way for them to defend themselves. They're utterly helpless. And the sheep have many needs. And the shepherd has to be there to help meet those needs. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I will not be needing, I will not need anything because the Lord is my shepherd. That word want in the Hebrew means lack. There is no lack. When we know that God is our shepherd, when we know that God is our provider, He is our provision. We have no lack. The type of relationship that David is talking about here is one of utter dependence. Utter dependence. When we are utterly dependent on God as our shepherd, we will not lack anything in our life. Who believes that? Who believes that if you are... uh, Now... I'm telling you, if you're dependent on your own works and what you can do, there might be seasons of lacking in life. If you're thinking that you can, you know what, I, I'm going to get that job and I can take care of myself for a while. If, you know, but I'm telling you that when you are utterly dependent on God, there is no lack. You know, we see the world around us and all of these things tell us that we lack, lack, lack. Right? You know, your friend gets married and all of a sudden you lack you know, a wife, you lack a husband. Your co- co-worker gets a promotion, and now you lack money, right? Uh, I need a raise. Your cousin goes and buys a house, and all of a sudden you feel like, oh, I lack a house. You know, de moms, right? de moms, they see the other moms with all of the bling and the new car and the $2,000 stroller, and there are $2,000 strollers, by the way, right? All of a sudden they feel like, oh, I lack. I lack. I need the car. I need the bling. I need the $2,000 stroller. But when we have our eyes set on all these things, it's really hard for us to very, it's hard for us to know God. But when we know that God is our shepherd, that He is in control, that He has our back, we know that God has your back. And He knows our every need, what we truly need, before even we know for ourselves, before even though, before we even know that we have a need in our lives, God knows that need and we are totally dependent on Him, we will lack for nothing. Because Why? Because we will have Him. That's the point here, is that you have God. When you have God, you lack nothing. When you have Christ Jesus, you lack nothing. I love what Jesus says. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, reap nor gather into barns, and, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? 
or what shall we wear? For Gentiles seek all, all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We have to have the right priority. And the right priority is setting our eyes on Jesus. When we seek his kingdom first, you know, it, the bright priority is knowing that above, like we have to have our eyes and everything set on Christ first. Do you know how God? Do you know how God will meet your wants? When you are so in love with Jesus and you're going after His kingdom so hard that His wants for you become your wants for you. So many times we see passages like Psalm 23, you know, like. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I believe that these are one of the most like, like, poorly translated like, passages in the Bible. We think, oh, God's going to give me the desires of my heart. He's going to give me a house. He's going to give me a new car. He's going to give me a wife. He's going to give me a husband. He's going to give me that Porsche 911 that is the desire of my heart. He's going to give me that, that boat that I want, you know, to like sail to Catalina, whatever it is. He was going to give me the desires of my heart. Well, they fail to read the other part of that psalm, which says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him in, in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as a noonday. It's not about being happy with God because all of the things that he's going to give you is about trusting in the Lord for everything, doing good. And here's a part that people leave out. It's about committing your ways to the Lord. Committing your ways to the Lord. And so now as you commit your ways to the Lord... When you truly commit your ways to the Lord, the desires of your heart starts to become the desires that God wants for your heart. You guys understand? It's not about like coming up with these fleshly desires and saying, like, God, answer the desires of my heart. Yes, go boy. It's about seeking the kingdom first. And when you, you truly commit your ways to the Lord... When you start to seek the kingdom of God first, the desires that God has for you starts being the desires that you have for yourself. And when that happens, God's going to start to answer and starts to give you the desires of your heart because they're the same as His. Sometimes we desire too little. Sometimes we ask God for a remote control car when what God really wants to give us is a real car. Sometimes we ask God for chicken nuggets when we when He wants to feed us steak. Right? Not that chicken nuggets are bad. I love chicken nuggets, right? But you guys know that a real good steak is way better than chicken nuggets, right? And what God says in all of these passages about meeting our needs and desires is that the desires that He wants to meet in us isn't the desires that we come up with in the flesh. But what He wants to impart to us comes out from the Spirit. When we're in the Spirit, when we're in this place where we're seeking the kingdom of God, we're seeking His righteousness, we're seeking Him, we're seeking His face, we're seeking His presence, we're like, God, I want you. I want you more than anything. I want you, Jesus, more than anything. And all of a sudden, God starts to change the desires of our hearts. And it's like, God, I'm like, I want to feed the poor. God, I want to, I want to go and I want, I want to become a doctor and I want to go you know, out into the, the Africa and and. and Heal people. Whatever it is, I, I want to. God, I want to. I want to be an end-time financier. I, I don't want to become a CEO because I want to make it all this money. But I have a genuine desire to give and give to the kingdom of God out of the finances. God, you made me very smart and you made me very intelligent and you made me very good with money. God, I want to be. And there's a genuine desire. God starts to change those desires and God's going to start to give you those desires of your heart. You know, like I'm so blessed by our our. our Brother and Sister Herman and, and Grace, they, they truly live this life of like utter dependence on God. Right? And then as they move to America, you see them 
God answering their prayers in like miraculous ways, in amazing ways. And you know what? It's not so that they can like, oh, yeah, I'm going to live it up. It's because they can actually, they want to give to the kingdom. They want to advance the kingdom of God. Their desires of their heart has become what God has desired for them in their hearts. Does that make sense? God's desires have become their desires. And when that happens, God gives, He's going to give freely. Let me tell you, it's so much more than what, that, what God has so much more in store for us than whatever we can desire out of the fleshliness of our, of our souls, of our, of our hearts. But here's the catch. The Lord has to be our shepherd. He has to be our shepherd. A sheep looks at a shepherd and is like, you, you give me everything. I, just, I need to just follow you. Because you know what? If I don't follow you, last time I didn't follow you, I fell down a pit. And then you have to come get me. Last time I didn't follow you and I got lost and I was starving and I couldn't find water. I thought I was going to die. But then you come and you save me, right? We have to have a shepherd. You have to see Jesus as our shepherd. He has to, the Lord has to be our shepherd. We have to depend on him, allow him to lead and guide us. We have to trust in him, trust in his timing. It means that we have to hear from him. We have to continue to seek to hear his voice. We have to draw near to him. We have to seek him. It says that when we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with all of our hearts. Seek him with our hearts, with our minds, with our souls. As a sheep seeks to follow the shepherd for everything. Knowing if the shepherd isn't here, he's dead. He's a pillow filled with fresh milk. So many times we, we look at our lives and we, we, we grab onto things like, God, I need this. Why don't you answer this desire of my heart, God? God, I have this desire and, I, and you're not answering it. Why? But then, there, but how much of the seeking of God's presence have you been doing? How much of, of, of seeking God as, as the one true thing in your life above everything else, even your wife and kids, all of them, all things, you seek God first. How much of that have you been doing? And then, and then, ask God, why aren't you, why aren't you answering the desires of my heart? It means we have to put Him first, our affections for Him first. We seek Him, we hunger for Him. When that happens, God will start to give you the desires of your heart. He starts to meet those needs because, you know, and all of a sudden you feel no lack because you know that you are at the center of God's heart, and being at the center of God's heart is. Seriously, the safest place you can be. When we see the abundance that we have in Him, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When you really know that God is the Lord of your life, that you're just intimately in that presence with God and you're just constantly seeking Him, you're going to realize that there is no lack in your life. Whatever lack that you feel, it's just like trivial things that you, you could just live without. But at the end of the day, when you know that God is calling me, you will not lack. And then David says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I read somewhere that it's very hard to make a sheep lie down. And they usually sleep standing up. The only way that a sheep will lie down and sleep is if they feel completely safe, if they're not hungry, if they're not thirsty, or if they're not irritated by flies. And only then will a sheep lie down. So you know, rarely do you see sheep like lying down. You know the picture of Jesus at the, on, at the uh, on the tree, and then all these sheep are like laying down in front of him, right? You, rarely will you see that kind of a scene with real sheep. The sheep are like, their the hearts are beating like this. There's always, oh, something's gonna come eat me. I'm a pillow filled with fresh meat. Right? It's just a heart thumping, right? Because he's just always like, what was that? What was that? Oh, I'm hungry. Finding oh, some grass. Oh, I'm thirsty. Right? Like, there's this heart always beating, and they're just always in this in this need. And it's very hard for them to feel completely safe. The only time when they feel safe enough to lie down is when they're in the presence of the shepherd, and the shepherd brings them into the fold, and they know that they're completely protected. Their bellies are full. They have enough to drink, and they're not irritated by all these flies. And then they'll start to lie down and sleep. But they say that sheep usually sleep very sporadic naps throughout the day, standing up. Because they're always afraid that something's going to eat them. 
David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The verbs that David uses here are not future tense, but present. He currently feels so safe that he can lie down. When God leads him to green pastures and drink from cool waters of, of still water, he, he leads him into this now. And currently now, there is a peace that we can find in the Lord. A peace where we can enjoy the things of life that God has for us. To enjoy the things that he leads us to. Knowing that God wants what's best for us. And in his presence is the safest place we can be. And it's the one place where we will be able to find true rest, true joy, and true happiness. And God wants us to lead us into this place. He wants us to enjoy life. Do you know that? you know that God wants us to enjoy life? Who believes that? Raise your hand. Or who feels like he's up there like messing us up along the way? He wants us to, he wants us to find peace in him and in, in the things that he brings into our lives. And he wants us to trust in him so that we are not afraid and that we're able to be at peace in our lives. And we have to trust in him to do so. Do you trust in his goodness? Do you trust that God has your best interest in mind? Do you trust in his love? Now the peace comes from trust. When you start to know him, to trust him, and then that trust brings us peace into our life. He leads us to green pastures. He leads us to a place where no matter what's happening around us, we're able to actually be at peace. We're able to actually lie down and be like, and, and, you know, like, enjoy the presence of Jesus because he wants that for us. He leads us to water. And only he can satisfy that part of our soul. I want to ask you today, is your soul satisfied? Or is there something in the world that you're seeking for first? Is there something in this world that you're seeking before God and Christ? I'm telling you, you there's going to be you're not going to be satisfied in your heart. There's going to be some part of your heart that's not satisfied. It says, seek him first. Seek God first. Seek the kingdom of God first. And then all these other things will be added to you. All of the things that you, you would be worrying about if you weren't seeking God first, are going to be added to you if you seek the kingdom of God first. Do you guys understand that? Do you guys believe that's the truth? Do you guys believe that if you are seeking God first, all of those things that you would be like all worried about start to kind of diminish, and then God's going to just give that to you? But if, and, and, and your attention is focused on God and His kingdom? And all of these things start to come into your life. And you realize there is no lack. I'm, I'm content in God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. God wants to restore your soul. God wants to touch that part of your that longing of whatever that you have in your God wants to fill that first. You guys might feel lonely. And you guys think that the answer to your loneliness is, is, is a guy or is a girl, right? No. No matter what you try to fill that, that space with, like you're going to still feel that God says, no, seek me first. Let me go and, 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 and fill that gap in your heart and then all of it and everything else, right, is going to be added to you. He restores our souls. And he says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesakes. The article I read, it talked about a shepherd how he would lead his huge flock of sheep through this narrow path between crops. There would be crops on this side. There would be crops on that side. There's like a tiny little path about this big. And then the sheep would all line up and go down this path, right? And, and, and they would walk and they would not eat any of the crops that are along the way. They would all This huge group of sheep would just be able to walk down this long path of crops and they wouldn't be like, I, if I was a sheep, I'd be like, oh, corn, I'm, I'm not. No, but these sheep would just... just, just Hear the sheep's voice, and they'd be able to be led down this path, this narrow path, and they would not eat any of the crop. If my sheep is walking down, and all of a sudden they start eating all of, you know, like Tiffany's blueberries, right? It's like I'm not, I'm not Tiffany's gonna get mad. He's gonna be like, "Yo, you gotta pay me for my blueberries, right?" Well, the article mentions how a good shepherd could lead his sheep down a very narrow path, 
with crops on both sides, and the sheep will not eat any of this forbidden crops. And they travel to the place where they're actually supposed to graze. They're supposed to graze past all of these crops, and he's able to lead them through it without the sheep eating these, these crops along the way. And when they ask him how he does this, he says, because the sheep know me. They, they know me. They know my, he, they know my desires. They know what I want them to do. And then he says that I know my sheep. And he's the one that says that, like, if you bring a sheep before me, one of my sheep and blindfold me, I could touch his face and I can tell you if he's my sheep or not. And when we know God and we know how to follow his ways, it's like a relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. We, we start to, to walk in, in the path of righteousness that God has for us. It's not about trying to do bad, not do bad. It's not about trying not to sin, but it's about keeping our eyes set on Christ and following him. He leads us on his path down righteousness. He is our righteousness. And he leads us in righteousness. It's our relationship with him. We can't expect to walk right when we don't know who we're supposed to follow. We have to know him, know his voice, and we follow in the path that he lays out for us. And we can trust that his path is going to be a path of righteousness. Those that love him do his commandments. Right? Jesus said that those of you that love me will, will follow my commandments. It doesn't mean that when you do not sin, you love Jesus. That, that, that passage right there says, those that love me, I will follow. It doesn't mean that if you don't sin, it means that you love Jesus. No. It's, it, it's because you love Jesus that you don't sin. It starts with love. It starts with knowing him, loving him, following him, and then he will lead us on in this path of righteousness. You can't expect, like, like it's not like that you're walking down the path, like, oh, I'm not going to eat this crop. And then, and then, and then, I'm, I'm not gonna leave, eat this crop because my shepherd loves me, and you know, he, I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna eat this crop. I want to eat it really bad. No, it's about following Jesus. Like the shepherd's leading me. It's like, oh, that's my shepherd right there. That's my shepherd. I'm just following my shepherd. I'm, I'm just following. Yeah, I just have to keep my eyes on him. It's about following Jesus. It's about following the path that He makes for us. because you love Jesus that you don't sin. Not you don't sin and because you don't sin you love Jesus. It's because you have your eyes and your heart and your soul and your spirit focused on Christ. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. He's the one that died on the cross for you. He loves you. You love him. You have your eyes set on him. And all of a sudden you as you is you continue to have your eyes set on Him and you're living your life for Him and you're doing what He's commanded you, you're following and you're going after the kingdom of God and all of a sudden you realize, hey, like the life that I live now has changed. It's no longer the way that I was when I, when I didn't know Christ. And then David says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Here David turns to the Lord and makes this psalm even more personal. He says, he goes from he to you. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. We have to know that in all circumstances, we can approach the throne of God with confidence. The image here here talks about the lows of our life, the valleys of our life. There's going to be low seasons in our lives where we feel like like death is, is upon us. There's going to be low seasons in our life where we feel like horrible, where we feel like everybody is our enemy. There's going to be low seasons of our life where nobody feels like nobody loves me and nobody can love me. Everybody hates me. There's going to be these valleys in our life. And, and, and what, what David's talking about is that no matter what, what valleys or what, what places you go in your life, you might think that, that you're about to die and you're about, death, death is about to take you know, come upon you, you can trust the Lord because God is with you. Because God is stronger than any evil out there. Now why does David feel this way? Is it because is David the strong warrior? Is it because 
he's the greatest king of Israel because he's defeated countless enemies. No, he feels this way because he has an intimate relationship with, with God. He knows that God is there with him. David talks about what he did you know, to the bears when, when they attacked his flock. In 1 Samuel it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when, when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from his flock, from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. And in the same way, David describes the Lord as our shepherd. He protects us and guards us against the works of the enemy. He knows that his staff is there to protect us. Now, David knows firsthand how amazing God's protection can be. He knew that no matter what difficulties or what enemies came against him, what didn't matter what kind of armies came against him, the Lord would be victorious. His rod and his staff were stronger than anything that can come against the name of the Lord. But here's the thing. It's not just about God protecting us against the works of the enemy, but his rod and his staff is there to discipline us and keep us on his path. A shepherd would use his staff to keep sheep from wandering off. He might, he might wander off and fall into a ditch, fall down a cliff. He might go off and get lost and get eaten by wolves. And the shepherd will use his staff to discipline and keep the sheep from getting into stuff that could actually harm him. And we know that God's rod and staff is there to discipline us because he loves us. God disciplines us in his love for us to keep us from getting into the things that can lead to our destruction. And we have to know that whatever we are walking in, the covering of the Lord our God who is with us in Christ Jesus by the blood of Jesus Christ covers us, He protects us, He guides us. And we have to live dependent on Him. His covering, His disciplines, His grace over us. And we have to receive His disciplines and say, oh man, thank you God, because I know that you know if I continue down this path or whatever whatever reason that you're disciplining me, it's because you love me and because you want me to be safe. It's because you want to protect me. It's because you want me to be right, walk right. You want me to be righteous. You want me to have this path before me. You don't you want you don't want me to wander off and get eaten by wolves. You don't want me to wander off and fall down a cliff and crack my head open and die. You don't want me to do these things because that's why you're disciplining me. We have to have that understanding in our hearts. When, when difficulties come and when times of discipline comes, we have to know that God is still for us. He's not against us. Now David, you know, he committed adultery and he com- actually committed murder, right? And, and Nathan the prophet goes to him and reveals his sin to him. And David responds with Psalm 51. I want to I read a part of Psalm 51 says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. It says, hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Now, David, who's actually kind of wandered off in his life, he's actually wandered into areas that he's not supposed to go, and he's actually committed a very heinous sin. And then David takes his re- reproof, this discipline that comes from the Lord, and he's like, God, like, like make me right before you. Make me right. Change created me a clean heart. Because I know that ultimately, like, like the reason why you discipline me is so that, that, that you can actually change my life. You can actually change my heart. Just bring me back to you with your rod and staff. And David, he switches it up and talks about God, lastly, as a, as the great host, the one that is to come. And this is what's in store for us. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a sudden shift in, in 
David talking about all of this sheep and shepherd, and all of a sudden he talks about this banqueting table. It's actually characteristic of Hebrew poetry. When when David goes from, you know, he's talking about sheep, and then he talks about this amazing banquet, this party that God's going to like, like bring out before me, what he's preparing for us as a feast. God is waiting to fully receive us, but he's just not waiting like, sitting on a couch. He's waiting. He's preparing for us a feast. He's preparing things for us in heaven. Who loves hosting people? Anybody love hosting people? Who loves it when somebody comes to your house? And I love hosting people. I love it when people visit me and I can prepare a great meal for them. You know, like tacos or barbecue or burgers, whatever it is. I love it when people come and I can I can make them. I don't. I, when somebody comes, I'm not going to be like, oh, can you get something on the way? Because I don't want to make anything for you. No, I love it. I love. I, I love to be the host. I love it when people come and enjoy my food. And I can bless them. But God is like that. God is waiting for us, and He's like preparing this feast for us. Imagine God in all of His glory and splendor, and He is the greatest person. He's the greatest being that ever was, and He's preparing for us a table. He's like, oh man, I can't wait till they come and I can. They can eat these heavenly burritos and you know these heavenly tacos and whatever is heavenly like, like angelic barbecue. Like he's preparing for us this feast in heaven, and he's he can't wait. And, he, and even as they, our enemies are looking upon us, enjoying this feast, God's saying, hey, "Hey, this is for you." Well, this feast is to come, right? There is a feast. There is a wedding feast that is to come. He's preparing that for us. But just like the kingdom of God is here, but it, is a, the, just like the kingdom of God is near, and, and Jesus says that the kingdom of God has already come, in the same way, this feast is actually, there's a feast that is waiting for us, but there's a feast that we have now. There's a feast that we are able to partake in now in God's goodness. Here in the present time, we're able to enjoy the love of God being in His presence, feeding on His goodness and His grace. You know, when people that hate us look upon us, you know, there's nothing that they can do from us enjoying the presence of God. You know, there's people that are look at us and be like, "Ah, oh, that was good," but they'll never, they can't keep us from enjoying what God has for us, what we have in Christ right now. He is with us. He pours out His grace and His goodness upon us. We enjoy peace. We enjoy love. We have joy in our hearts that the world can't take away from us. All of the people that, that want to take our joy, they can't take our joy because it comes from Christ Jesus. And it comes through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. The anointing actually is a shepherd's term from a long time ago, right? It's rooted in shepherds where shepherds like flies would go inside the sheep's ear and they start start to dive in and they start to lay eggs and they'll start to eat their brains and all of a sudden sheep will be like grazing and they'll be like, Bang! and then they die, right? This actually happened to sheep. And so what shepherds would do is they would anoint their sheep with oil. They would take oil and they would rub it on their ears right? and on their faces so that whatever flies would try to go into their ears, they can't climb on and they just actually just kind of like fly away and then the, the oil, like, you know, chases away the flies that would go and burrow their eggs into their brains. Why did I say that? Well, the shepherd, he anoints, God, he anoints us with the Holy Spirit. We know that when we were saved, Jesus said that we would not be alone, but we would be given a helper that would come and he would comfort us. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. God sets us apart by marking us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a seal that is upon our hearts, and he is with us. He is the anointing that is upon us that helps us to live our lives in this place of overflow of God. Our lives are completely changed forever because the Holy Spirit is in us, He protects us, He guards us, He comforts us, He heals us, He leads us, He guides us, He strengthens us, He encourages us, and He transforms us into the image of Christ. 
That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We're anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And our cup overflows. He anoints us with oil, and our cup overflows. Then David says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is our destiny. When Christ is our shepherd, we live dependent and focused on him. His goodness and mercy will be with us all the days of our lives. Meaning that wherever we go, whatever we do, if God is our shepherd, his goodness and mercy is going to chase after us. He's going to pursue us. He's going to come after us. And this is my favorite part. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know what the nicest house that you've ever been to, right? Is but I remember in high school, uh, we have prom, and so my, my I asked this girl from my church to prom, and she said yes. And then before prom, like she invited me to come over to her house, and I went to her house, and it was she didn't go to my high school. She went to like a different high school in Palos Verdes, which is where the rich people live, and it was the biggest house I ever seen in my life. I walked in, and I felt like I was in the White House, and it was like everything was white, and it, the living room had multiple layers, like levels. And it had like marble, and, and it was just amazing. And then at the bottom was this huge grand piano, and then it looked out at this, this big window that looked out at the ocean of the cliffs. And they had these staircases that went all the way down to the bottom of to the ocean. And I went into her closet, and her closet was bigger than my my room. And her kitchen was I hands not I don't I'm not messing around here. Her kitchen was bigger than my house. Right? All right, my house, my parents' house wasn't that big. So I went into her kitchen. I was like, dude, your kitchen is as big as my house. And then I realized that the reason why she said yes to me to go to prom was out of pity. I looked at this house and I was like, "This is," uh, I was like, "This is the most amazing house I've ever been to." It was, it was like something out of a Martha Stewart like living thing. It was just this flower, fresh flowers, and like there's bowls of fruit in the kitchen with no flies, right? And it was just amazing. It was spotless. There's no clutter. There's no dust. I was like, like this is, looks like something out of a museum. And when I imagine an amazing house, that's what I imagine. I remember going in there being blown away, right? But God, Jesus, at this time, He is preparing for us a place in the house of God. And you gotta imagine that the house of God, the house of the Lord is gonna be amazing. Our future that we have, the destiny that we have in God, you know, we're not gonna be like spiritual beings floating around in the clouds, like, Oh, I'm like the smoke that like lives in the heavens for eternity. We're gonna live. We're gonna live in flesh. We're gonna live in heaven. Heaven is gonna be like us now. We're gonna eat food, and I believe we're gonna eat food, right? And we're gonna live in houses, and we're gonna live forever with God, looking upon God, and and, and we're we're gonna live in the house of the Lord. Imagine how amazing that is gonna be. That is the destiny that we have in Christ Jesus. Compared to what God has in store for us, the White House is gonna seem like like a studio apartment in the worst part of town. And this psalm shows us that the truth about God's heart for us is that He wants to be our shepherd. God wants to be our shepherd. God wants to provide all of these things for us. God wants us to pour out all of these amazing things. Not He, he wants to pour it out on us now and He wants us to experience and understand what He has in store for us in the in, in the future, when Jesus comes back and we see Him face to face, how amazing, how glorious, how perfect, how comforting, how no one will cry, there will be no tears, there will be no no scars, nothing is going to be perfection with God. How amazing that will be! God wants to be our shepherd. He wants to do this for us. He wants to take care of us. He wants to be there for us. He is the good shepherd, and in Him there is no want. There is no need. There is no fear. There is no fear. When He is our shepherd, we have to know that whatever this world can do to us, it's nothing, right? Because like, if somebody comes and like shoots me in the head, what's going to happen? I get to see Jesus. I get to see my new house, right? There's nothing that this world can do because we have a confidence in a shepherd that is truly a good shepherd. Jesus is a good shepherd. And He is for us. And He is the cornerstone of our faith. And He is the one that will provide for us now. He will pour out His love and His grace upon us now. And He will be the Good Shepherd as we see Him face to face 
when he comes back. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. Maranatha, come Jesus, come. Because when you really have Jesus Christ as your true shepherd, as the good shepherd, you will look to the future differently. You will look to destiny. You will look to the afterlife in a different way. Because he is our good shepherd. Let's all stand up. Let's close.